stay together. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold it up. Maybe you have an electronic device with your Bible on it. That'll work too. Uh, you can hold it up. And we go after me. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want you to look at your neighbor and just blow him a kiss. Would you do that? The Bible says, the Bible says we should greet each other with a holy kiss, right? Had an elder in one church, he said, Preacher, I'll be at the back for all the women that want to greet me with a holy kiss. <laughs> I said, Brother, the line will be short, but that's all right. We're just glad that you're here today, and we pray that our service will be a blessing to you. Be in Ephesians chapter 5 today. I would encourage you to turn there. Also be over in Luke, but uh, we'll begin in Ephesians 5. In fact, we have a verse of Scripture to read together. I hope I can get Jeff back there. Let's read together. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. If you have any conversation, could be at work, could be in the checkout line at the store, could be around the dinner table, that conversation will somehow be touched by or involved with the economy that we are facing in our culture. The downgrading, the credit ratings, uh, how bad a shape we're in. And our complaints often are that the government at nearly every level, and I mean every level, seems to have forgotten that they really don't have any money. What they spend is what you and I give them to spend. But at times it appears as though they think it's theirs. But before we're too hasty to criticize the government, which can always be a trouble spot because we might expose a level of hypocrisy in our own lives, before we complain too much about government squandering resources that don't belong to them, how often do you and I squander the resources that don't belong to us? How many of you would raise your hand and say amen to the fact that everything we have is God's? Now, some of you may think it's yours. You're just like the government. <laughs> but everything we have is God's. He gives it to us, lets us use it. And it's amazing how we get sometimes. But as we continue in our series on spiritual disciplines... I want us to look at this idea of stewardship. And oftentimes, and, and I've heard it, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a million times. That's about an exaggeration, but I've heard it many times. Oh, here he goes, talking about money again. Here he goes. Well, I, that's an aspect of it. Stewardship and money are, that is one aspect of stewardship. But the three T's are what I really want you to understand, but we're going to focus on the Treasure is part of it today, but there's time, there's talent, and there's treasure. And so you, 
are stewards of all of that. But today we will focus on the treasure side of it because wise money management is just one part of being a good steward. I thought Brian's words earlier were, were powerful and positive, weren't they? As a church, per capita, you give like no other church. Uh, was listening to someone tell me about a church service they had attended at a larger church in our area, in the metro area. And the preacher got up that morning, and this church runs several hundred people. I mean, five, six, seven hundred people. And the, got up that morning, the preacher did, and he looked pretty, pretty tired and wore out. <laughs> and he just looked at the people, and he said, I, I don't know what to tell you. He said, I'm, I'm just almost at the point where I'm ready to resign today. And he said, uh, we're, we're in the red. And I guess he mentioned how much they were in the red. And he said, he held up a big long list. He said, and these are all the volunteers we need to really make this ministry go. And uh, I got to thinking, after I listened to the story, I got to thinking, well, every church is the same, aren't they? Every church struggles for resources to, and, and to operate by money and also struggles for uh, human resources to help teach and to clean and to uh, just help. It, we, we're, we're praying for a drummer to come and help us lead, help with our worship service, help Jeff and Misty in worship. Need a bass player, and we're hoping to get Jeff West back uh, in October. He's, his job has caused him to not be able to be here, and I hope to get Jeff back. I'd love to get him playing. Two Jeffs on the stage. That's awesome. So if you, you have to be careful who you say Jeff to, right? <laughs> then we got Jeff back there in the back on the, on the, boy, I'm in trouble if I have three Jeffs. We'll have to call you Jeff Old, Middle, and Young. I'll let you decide where that goes. That's a trouble already. Uh, if any of you know how to replace a window, obviously we've got a window that's cracked and broken over here. It needs to be replaced. Um, and and all, of you, all of us have different gifts and talents. Amen? So we've got to use them. Today I want to focus on being a good steward and manager of that which is in our care. If you owned a business and you decided to hire someone to manage your business, they would become a steward of your business. They would take care of your money. They would make sure it's being spent wisely <laughs> or not. And if not, it's a, you're in big trouble. But if you're a follower of Christ, he's given you resources to be a manager of, to be a steward of. And we have to do them right. If you're a follower of Christ, you've denied yourself, taken up your cross, and are truly following Him. If you've given your life to Him, then what you manage is not your own. It's God's. You own nothing. You're merely a steward, a manager, for you have surrendered your claim to everything that you thought you owned, and you have given to Christ. You've given it all to Christ. Now, that's what a true follower does. But too often, too often we try to focus on the 90% that God says you can have, and He just wants you to give Him 10. 10%. And we go bananas when we say 10%. Somebody asked Billy Graham one time, am I supposed to give him 10% of my net or my gross? He said, do you want a gross blessing or a net blessing? You see, because God owns our time, 
There's not a moment in the day which is yours, it's His. He owns our tongues. Not every word that comes out of our mouth should be that that brings glory and honor and praise to our Heavenly Father. He owns our mind, our thoughts, our attitudes, our opinions. All these governed by the One who owns it all. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. I heard a guy the other day using God's name in vain. And I, I said to him, I said, man, you're a religious guy, aren't you? Well, he looked at me like I'm going to knock you out. He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, man, you, you must know God. You talk about him a lot. Yeah, well, I will tell you. See, why do we have to assume? Just stand up to him. Stand up to the devil. When you take Jesus to the devil, guess where the devil goes? Gone. He's out of there. He can't stand in the presence of God. He doesn't have a prayer. And you know it and I know it. So what's the guy going to do? Pull a gun and shoot me? I win. I, I, boy, I thought that would be a good amen moment. Amen. Okay, I'll go over here. Amen. All of us together. Amen. Oh. Too bad I've got to drag it out of you. Oh, did he say something, honey? What did I mess? Okay. The clock and the dollar. Those are two things that God needs more of from us and more control of. Let's focus, and those are the two things I want to focus on this morning. Ephesians 5, 15 to 16, we just read it. Stewardship of time, the manager of time. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. It's always good to have context when a couple of verses are grabbed out. There's a flow in this book, the book of Ephesians. It's a flow about relationships. Paul begins with our relationship with Christ, moves to our relationships with one another, and then to our relationship with the world and how we stand our ground as Christians. He explains our position as Christians in the first three chapters of the book. He's given practical advice on the Christian life and the Christian walk. Uses the word walk, but he literally means the way we live. So in a, in a sense, it's how we walk through life. And in chapter 4, he tells them to walk in unity and gives instructions on how to do that both personally and within the community of faith. And then he starts chapter 5 by telling us that we must walk with one another in love even as Christ loved us, gave himself for us. And then he says that we must walk as children of light. Beacons of God's glorious light in a dark world and being always mindful that our lives must be pleasing to God. And then he tells us that we are to walk wisely, redeeming or buying back the time because the days are evil. It's foolish to think that God would be concerned about how we spend money, but not, how, not be concerned about how we spend time, for time is infinitely more valuable than money. Time can make you money, but money cannot buy you time. I've seen many a person try to buy health in their last days when they're sick. Can't buy it. If you could, you would. Amen? Boy, take me back to 25. I'd make some better decisions. <laughs> but here I am. Can't do it. We're only allotted 24 hours in each day, and how we spend it or how we waste it 
It's up to us. You only get 24 hours in any day. Have you noticed that? Well, I know people, preachers, work at least 35 hours a day. Oh, really? Well, they're stupid. Since you can't really do it. What, are you going to grab from tomorrow and start living it today? Jesus said very clearly, you can't do anything about tomorrow. Can't do anything about yesterday. Today's all you got. Make the most of it. What legacy are you leaving? What do your children see as important? Cindy and I went to a movie last night, The, uh, the Help. I think that's the title of it. How many of you have seen that so far? I'll tell you what. If you haven't seen it, you better go see it. I don't cry in very many movies, but I did last night. I, I found myself weeping. People should never, ever, ever be treated like that movie portrays people being treated. I, I'm telling you, I was sitting just down the road from a black couple, and I was curious to see their reaction to it all. And at the end of the movie, I, I was... I really wanted to just grab them both and hug them. I just did. So I patted them on the back when they walked by me. I'm telling you. I told Cindy, I said, I, I would be put in jail or killed because I would not, I can't believe I would stand and, and tolerate something like this. Can't do it. We cannot do how that movie says. But yet I see us doing it in so many ways. I see us doing it to God more than anything. A God that loved us and cares about us, gave His Son for us. We are not to idle away our days doing things that have no eternal value. We are to spend time, the time that God has given us, in ways that will make the greatest impact for eternity. Grandparents, what are you doing for eternity's sake in the lives of your grandkids? Moms and dads, what are you doing for eternity's sake in the lives of your children and your grandchildren to come? Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount that about being careful how we spend our time. Don't spend it trying to amass material things like the world around us. Because those material things bring no hope. We can invest only to watch it be taken away. But when you invest time, and when you invest that in the lives of people, boy, what a difference it makes, especially if it's spiritual investment. Spiritual investment. It's interesting that also in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus follows up that teaching with uh, telling us, that where our heart is, something also is there. What is it? Treasure. Where your heart is, your treasure's there. So where's your heart? Where is it found? Throughout the history of Christianity, there have been those who have taken things to an illogical conclusion. They've said, well, then I'm going to go be a monk. I'm going to set myself so far away from the world that I'll never be tainted by the things of the world. Or they'll become legalistic and everybody has to be a certain way or they're not going to make it to heaven. I was raised in that type of a church. 
If you didn't go to that church, you were lost. If you didn't follow the tenets and doctrines of that church and that church alone, because everybody else was lost. Then I found out you could have a piano and organ in your church building. Because I was told if you go into a church that has those, the roof will cave in on you and you will die. And that's how it was preached. You will die! And it'd shake the... When you're just a little kid growing up, you... So my brother drags me to this church that has a piano and an organ. And you ever notice how they don't step side by side? One's on one side and one's on the other to make full collapse of the building. This one will take out this half. That one takes out that half. Ha! Ah! And I'm in a church building with a high-pitched roof like this. And I'm sitting there and they start playing that music. And I'm telling you, first thing I did was look up. I wasn't looking for God. I was looking for that roof. Great, grateful I was on the corner, on the back, so I could get out. <laughs> and you know what I found there? The grace and mercy of God. Somebody invested some time in me because the days are evil. And I'll never be able to repay for the time investment that that church and those men. My dad had already died. I was 14 and I really didn't know what to do. Or what. I didn't have male role models other than my brothers. <laughs> they weren't that great. <laughs> so I started looking for men in the church that I could hang around. And boy, they were great men for me to hang around. They'd take me water skiing and they'd come and watch me at ball games and cheer for me. Oh man, that's, you know, that's, you look up in the stands, you don't see any of your family, but you see church people and they're, you know, that's awesome. That's awesome. The days are evil. We've got to spend our time. And as growing disciples of Jesus, we must be disciplined in how we use our time. How many Christians have been blinded to the reality there is a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid? How many live their lives as practical atheists? And remember the sermon series I did on that a year ago. Compartmentalizing religion to Sundays and living the rest of your week the way the world wants you to live it. How many live their lives with, a, with no sense of urgency, no grasp on the reality that we must make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and to teach them to observe all things? If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you want to grow? Raise your hand and say amen. If you want to grow in your walk with God, every hand would go up. Sure, there you go. Now I'm going to ask you the next question. In order for you to do that, I've got a class starting on Sunday nights for one hour for the next seven months. Who would be here? Whoa, the hands go down. Yeah. Oh, you mean i got to actually pay a price? Nah. Just keep doing it the way you're doing it right now. How's that working for you, Dr. Pitt? Isn't that a great phrase? Fits everything. How's that working for you? Because you see, we want all the things of heaven, but we don't want to give anything out of our, our time, our talent, our treasure. Well, preacher, I'm so overloaded, I can't give anything. Really? You can't give anything? <laughs> Skip a Big Mac this week. You just saved ten bucks. Give it to Jesus. You can't, go to, you can't go to McDonald's and not spend less than $20. Come on, if you've got a family. Come on. 
Go down to Hugo's. At least they put a platter of food out in front of you for the same amount of money. Practical atheists. Our master called us, equipped us, commissioned us with a mission. He is coming again someday. And we will give an account for how we've spent our time and the substance of our lives. The thing I appreciate about Anna Wagner and the thing I told her children and her husband, because I think they had the question in their mind, is mom in heaven. They weren't church-going people. They went here a little bit, went there a little bit, went there a little bit. They never got connected into a church, I'm finding out. So the time we had them here was not unusual. They're like a lot of families, just kind of hop around looking for the best deal. But I will always remember the night I was going to teach a class on Bible basics, and she was the only one that came. And for an hour and a half, God appointed that time. I could have called that off because I knew she didn't really feel like being here. But I'm telling you, God opened a, a window in her heart and in her mind. And she began to ask questions. And she began to flow out. And she began to cry. And when she began to cry, I knew we were hitting home. And she said, I don't want to die. I'm afraid to die. I said, then we're going to deal with that right now. We went through Scripture and I read it to her because she couldn't stay focused and read. I read it to her and more tears flowed. And I said, Anna, do you know Jesus is your Savior? She said, oh, I do, I do. She said, when I was a little girl, I was baptized. And I said, and it's stuck. She goes, but I don't feel like it's stuck. I said, because you haven't stayed active in the sticking. <laughs> she said, the one regret that she has, and she had, was that she didn't get active in church and get her children active in church. I'm going to say that Monday night to a church full of people that need to hear it. And if they don't like it, they'll get over it. And if they don't get over it, too bad. Because I'm not the one they got to take it up with. I'm just the messenger. Charles Spurgeon said this, Do not believe that you are standing still. You are not. Your pulses each moment uh, beat the funeral marches to the tomb. You are chained to the chariot of rolling time. There is no bridling the steeds or leaping from the chariot. <laughs> You're not going to get away from time. It's marching on. The older I get, the more I realize... Take advantage of every moment you have. Every moment you have. If you want to really be a follower of Christ, you must realize that it does not belong to you. Your time does not belong to you. You've been given that time by God, entrusted it to you, and you are held accountable for how you use it. Held accountable for how you use it. Now, stewardship not only involves your time, but it does involve our money. And here, here we go. Luke chapter 16, have those Bibles turned there, Luke chapter 16. Uh, we're going to look in verses 10 through 13 in just a moment. But again, let me set the stage for you. Jesus speaks these words immediately after telling the parable of the unjust servant and unjust steward. In the parable, the unjust steward is caught squandering the master's money and is called to give an account of how he has used his master's money, realizing that he's been caught. He begins to use the master's money to make friends for himself so that when he no longer has a job, he will at least have friends. He misused the master's money. Jesus points to this man as an example of someone who is shrewd. In fact, Jesus says, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Jesus doesn't condone the steward's dishonesty, but 
points to how clever and shrewd he is. Now let's pick up at verse 10. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, and will trust you with the true riches, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. King James calls it mammon. I like the translation of money because money hits right home, right between the eyes to all of us. You got 401ks? <laughs> or used to? Hey, just overnight, you can lose $20,000 overnight. $2 million. George Soros owns 11 tons of gold. Selling right now for $1,877 an ounce. And he owns 11 tons of it. Would you call him a wealthy man? Oh yeah. That gold will sell anywhere in the world. Wouldn't you like to be his friend? Hey, George, can you give me some of that gold? I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus. Jesus is saying that we can't be trusted with something as temporal and fleeting as money. He's not going to trust us with truly valuable things. If we've not proven faithful in little things, how can He trust us with much greater things? You can't serve both God and money. And we can't overlook the four verses sandwiched in between the two parables. Not only the unjust steward, but also Lazarus and the rich man. Both of the parables talk about how wise or foolish someone is here on earth and how they use their money here speaks to eternity. Both of the parables deal directly with money. But we know that from verse 14 where the scripture tells us that the Pharisees were listening and scoffing at him. It says they were lovers of money. I want you to think of money in four simple terms. Number one is a trust. It's a trust. If something God has entrusted to our care, something which belongs to Him, but which He has given to us to invest on His behalf, that's what your money is. Where are you investing it? If He trusts us with a little and we use it wisely, then He'll trust us with more. That's why He says, He who is faithful is a very, in the very little things is faithful in so much. Money is something God's entrusted to us. It's a trust. Number two, it's a tool. He expects, he expects us to use it to further His kingdom. Money is needed in the ministry of God. It's needed to fund salaries and utilities and materials. Staff. It's, it's needed for that. It's needed to support missions. When we brought up the Bible sticks for the military, you didn't hesitate. Boom. We sent them $1,400 from this little church. $1,400, and we took it up in two Sunday offerings. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's just the way you are, because you know money's a tool. But rather, it being just merely a tool, it's something that God can use for greater good. 
And we'll never know the countless lives that can be touched because you've invested in them through your staff at this church and through your missions that you give worldwide. We'll never know the thousands. Thirdly, it's a test. God often gives us something of lesser value to see if we trust Him so we'll get things of greater value. 10% is all He asks. 10%. Started with my boys telling them, if you get $10, you better give a dollar to Jesus. It'd be wise for you to do that. Corey's testimony, middle son, lost his job, decided to try God at the tithe, began to tithe, had a job in three weeks making more than he was making from the job that let him go. Just got a job promotion being at the business two years, got a job promotion, and his salary will more than double. How does he do that? Well, man, he was lucky. No, it's because he's learned the principle of giving. They never stopped giving, even in the midst when they didn't have any two incomes coming in. They just kept giving. And he led and taught his wife because she, she was afraid to write the check. And now she doesn't have any hesitation to write the check. Isn't that awesome? And you can testify that way too. There's, there's countless numbers of you sitting right here this morning that if I gave you a minute, you could testify of that very blessing from God. Number four, it's a thermometer. Preachers have to do stuff in T's, don't they? Or, you know, everything that matches. <laughs> it's a thermometer. It's how we spend our money reveals the truth about our spiritual lives. Now, just for a minute, let me take the gloves off. I'm going to make a statement here that is very strong. I'm going to give you that pre-warning. So if you need to cover your ears, cover your ears. I guess on TV they say if you need to leave, get the children out of the room, leave, get them to leave the room. But I'm going to say something that's very strong, and I want you to be ready for it. If you do not, at the very least, tithe, if you are not investing at least a portion of the money God has entrusted to you into eternal causes... You are not a growing Christian. And perhaps, and perhaps, when you made your confession of faith, you were just kidding. Millie Rutherford one time was asked why people don't tithe. And she held up her pocketbook. I, I, I've got a wallet, so I'll hold it up. She said, well, the problem is that most of us, when we went into the waters of baptism, we left this on high ground. You see, if you've been converted to Christ, this, time, whatever it is, is all God's. Will you agree with me in an amen? I'm sorry? Should have all been baptized. Take the book with you. That's what she was saying. Take that pocketbook in there with you. Yeah, you know, probably wouldn't be worth anything there, but you know what I'm talking about. Jesus talks more about money than he does heaven or hell. Why would he do that? Because he thought money was an important thermometer of our spiritual lives. 
And if we are truly His servant, if we are truly sold out, if He is truly the Master of our lives, then we will give time, talent, and treasure to the Lord. And our church, and many of you are givers, but there are still others who give absolutely nothing monetarily to this church. Have attended here for years. Well, I'm on a fixed income preacher. Tell me, somebody that's not. I have never met a person that's not on a fixed income. I'm on one. You're on one. We're all on one. Now, understand, the older we get and we're not out in the workforce and the availability of the funds does change. Amen. But you can give if Jesus is truly the master of your life. Sometimes people have a problem with the truth and they have a problem with tithing. I I remember we had a deacon here years ago that argued with me that tithing was an Old Testament concept. I said, well, if it is, then why did Jesus talk about it? And if it is, why did Paul talk about it? Jesus condemned the Pharisees in Matthew 15, 5 and 6 because they copped out. How can you say that you're willing to give your life to Christ if you're not willing to surrender your pocketbook to Him also? Because how we spend our money speaks how we love God. It's been said, if I could go through your checkbook, I could determine very quickly how much God you have in you and how much you love God. Because what do we spend our money on? Let's be honest. What do we spend our money on? Is it the things of heaven? Is, is it the things that create eternal, eternal things? Or is it more for us? More for us. More for us. Got to have more stuff. And then the older I get, I got so much stuff, I don't know what to do with it. So what do we do? We rent a building and put it in there. Because somehow we got to have the stuff that we never use, but let's put it in a building and padlock it so we can say we got stuff. And pay somebody else to house our stuff. And then the stuff gets, we got to put more in there. So we go get a bigger size building to put more stuff in there. Because we don't have room for our stuff. It's been fun to watch as each boy has left. We've gotten rid of stuff. Cindy got out of the car the other day and saw boxes that said, Jeff's stuff. Her first comment to me is, what's this doing here? <laughs> I just found it. Relax. It was hidden in an archive somewhere. So I suspect pretty soon Jeff's stuff will be gone too. Let me give you three or four things to help you grow in this way with God. Assess, number one, assess your time and money expenditures. It would be amazing how much you spend on what you spend if you'll just sit down and look. Number two, set some goals. Start simply. If you can't do 10%, do five. If you can't do five, do three. If you can't do three, do one. Do something. Do something. And God will start to bless. And set a goal. If you start at 1%, say within three months I want to be at 5%, and then in six months I want to be at 7%, and in a year I want to be at 10%. Set a goal. Set a goal. Number three, exercise some faith. Remember also that our goal is to be more like Jesus, not like Bill Gates. Exercise some faith and actually do it. 
Step out of that comfort zone. Give like you've never given before. The call to Jesus is radical. It's a call of total surrender. It's not yours, it's His. Give it to Him. And if you'll do it, God will do something great in you. Jesus did not give us lip service. He gave us His very life. On Calvary's cross, He laid it all down. He left the glory of heaven for the grief of the cross. He surrendered to the agony of the cross all for love. So that you and I could one day inherit eternal life. He held nothing back. Why should we? Why should we? As we prepare for our invitation, would you pray with me, please? God, it's very important that we learn to be good stewards. Stewardship says something about the authenticity of our faith. You gave it all, so why do we think we can hold on to anything? And God, I've talked to a number of people. And one of the principles of treasure is that, yes, money's involved, but time and talent also is involved. And so, God, if, if we may not have the money, could we then tithe our time? Could we then tithe our talents? for the work of your ministry, to the work of your church. Yet, God, we're being selfish with all of it because we think just money is all of it. It's just one piece. It's an important piece, but it's one piece. So, God, would you move in your people today. Help them to understand that to truly trust you, it's going to mean that we're going to resolve this issue and conflict between heaven and us about our time, our talent, and our treasure. So God, I'm just asking the question, how will people today decide to give time, talent, and treasure? Help them, Lord. Help them. In Jesus' name, amen.